to this message. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench, because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him. And let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are here to join our voices to the everlasting song and to crown you with our praises. We're also here because we want to know you. We want to know the real you, who you are and what you're about. So please open your word to us, Lord, and help us to discover you so that we can be your people. We ask this in your name. Amen. There's an old rule that says that singers shouldn't preach and preachers shouldn't sing. But I'm going to break that rule right now. So you might want to plug your ears. And if it doesn't work out so well, maybe I'll give Scott equal time. So <laughs> there's a uh, country western song I used to sing when I was growing up called Plastic Jesus. And maybe some of you know it. And it goes like this. I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. I can go 100 miles an hour as long as I got the almighty power sitting in my Buick 49 chorus. Plastic Jesus, plastic Jesus, riding on the dashboard of my car. Through all my trials and tribulations, we will travel through the nations. With my plastic Jesus, I'll go far. I, uh, I think I'm probably going to keep my day job. What do you think? I hope that doesn't strike any of you as irreverent. I don't mean to be irreverent. It's just that I'm from eastern Washington, and that's how we do theology over there. <laughs> I think there's a lot of truth in that song, as there is in all country music, because I think that most of us carry around in our minds some kind of plastic Jesus, an artificial man-made version of who we think Jesus is. Or who we want Jesus to be that doesn't really line up with the Jesus of Scripture. So between now and Easter, what I want to talk about is the difference between all the man-made plastic versions of Jesus, the stereotypes of Jesus, versus the real Jesus that we find in the Bible. And I'm going to look at stereotypes like he's judgmental, or he's mild-mannered, or he's just a great moral teacher but not the Son of God. I'm going to look at those stereotypes and distinguish between them and the real Jesus. 
And I can't think of a better place for us to start our ministry together than by discovering together who the real Jesus is. Because what we do as a church will be determined by who we think Jesus is. And so as we begin to go forward, we better first make sure we're following the real Jesus. And today I want to look at one of the most frequent misunderstandings, the most frequent stereotypes of who Jesus is, and it's this. That he is there to make my life easier. That Jesus is convenient, and that his job is just to sort of make my life smooth sailing. sailing. Convenience, like plastic silverware or something. I think this is a plastic version of Jesus that I carry around on the dashboard of my life, and maybe many of you carry around with you as well. I remember once being out at a fancy French restaurant, and one of the guys in our group wanted to impress everyone with his high school French, and so when he wanted to call the waiter over, he raised his hand and he snapped his fingers and he said, Garcon, Garcon, and we were all, that's Garcon, and this is embarrassing, but I think that's how a lot of us treat Jesus. Jesus, I have a need. Jesus, I have a want. I want career success. I want more material goods. I want people to like me. Jesus, could you do that for me? Could you make my life easier? Could you be convenient? But the Jesus of Scripture doesn't always do what we want him to do. Doesn't always do what we think he should do. He zigs when we zag. And he follows nobody's agenda but his own. I think you can see this in the story we just read about Lazarus. One of the most shocking lines in Scripture for me comes in verse 6, where it says, When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? That's not convenient. That's not what Jesus should have done. That's not what I would have done. Jesus lets Lazarus die. He lets the family grieve. That doesn't make any sense. And you can sort of see the disciples trying to figure this out. And you can see Mary, Lazarus' sister, wrestling with this. And when she comes to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's a lot of sorrow in that line. But I think there's a lot of anger in that line. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? And throughout this passage, Jesus, people keep trying to understand Jesus, and Jesus doesn't help very much because he keeps throwing out these weird sayings. He says things like, are there not 12 hours of daylight in a day? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. You all understood it when Bruce read that, right? And you can see everyone trying to struggle with this, and finally Thomas just says, well, let us go with him that we might die also, not knowing what else to say. Jesus doesn't always do what we think he should do. He zigs when we zag. I have a friend who went through a long period of disappointment with God. He thought that if he was a good Christian, that if he prayed a lot, if he went to church, that God would make his life perfect. And so he prayed that God would help him make more money, help him buy a new car. He was a coach, so he prayed that God would help his team win. And when God didn't come through on those things, he lost his faith. But you know what? That was a faith worth losing. Because his faith was not in the real Jesus of Scripture. His faith was in an artificial plastic version of Jesus that he had constructed and put on the dashboard of his life so that he could go 100 miles an hour in his own direction. And since losing faith in that Jesus, he's been free to discover the real Jesus. The Jesus that is more than just our cosmic busboy. 
who offers us so much more than convenience or a quick fix to our problems, but the Jesus who offers us a real intimate relationship with him. You see, what, what Jesus offers Mary and Martha and Lazarus and you and me is so much better than convenience or efficiency. In fact, there's, I think there's three things that he's offering in this text that are better than just a convenient plastic Jesus. And the first is this. I just alluded to it. What Jesus, the real Jesus, offers us is an intimate relationship with the living God. You can see this right in the middle of the story. In the shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. What is he doing weeping? He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And wouldn't it have been more convenient, more efficient, if he just sort of showed up on the spot and raised Lazarus right away? No weeping, just quick, clean, efficient, like plastic. But he didn't do that. He took time to weep. Because he's real. And he has emotions. And he wants to share in our struggles with us. And that's what we really need anyway, isn't it? I can remember one time when I was single... And I'd broken up with a woman that I'd been dating for a long time. And I was talking it over with my best friend. And as I was talking about it, he began to cry. Because he was sharing in my struggle and he was feeling what I was feeling. Now, I suppose it would have been more efficient and more convenient on my friend's part if he'd come up with some suggestions of what I was supposed to do or some strategies to get my girlfriend back or at least get even with her. <laughs> but he didn't do that. Instead, he wept. And that's what I really needed anyways, because what it offered me was connection with him and a feeling that I wasn't alone. And that's what Jesus offers us. He will not heal from a safe, sanitary distance. He will experience our pain with us. That's the meaning of Christmas, part of the meaning of Christmas that we just celebrated. Jesus comes to us. God comes to us in human form. And he lives our life so that he can feel what we feel, so that we are never alone. Look at his life. Born in Asia into crushing poverty to an unwed mother suffering under a heavy tax burden from a European colonial power. Forced to be a refugee in Egypt. And then he had to endure years of unfulfilling, poor paying, blue collar labor just to make ends meet. Only to become an absolute failure at his chosen career of ministry, failure by the world standards. And then to end his life by dying a humiliating, excruciating criminal's death while everyone he ever knew abandoned him, leaving him utterly alone. What's left out of that? That covers the entire range of human suffering. Whatever you felt, he's felt it too. Do you suffer? So did he. Do you feel lonely? So did he. Do you sometimes feel scared? So did he. Do you grieve? So did he. There's a poem I just love. And it says, the other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you did stumble to your throne. But to our wounds, only a god's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. That's what the real Jesus offers us, that a plastic one doesn't. He doesn't always do what we want him to which only proves that we didn't make him up. But what he does do is gives us intimacy and communion with the living God, and that's what we really need. The second thing the real Jesus can do that a plastic one can't, the real Jesus can handle the ugly, unpleasant parts of our lives. You know, one of the most vivid details in this story comes when Martha, always practical, says to Jesus, don't open the tomb, he'll stink. What is that graphic detail doing in this story? Again, it just proves we didn't make it up. 
Right? A plastic made up version would have erased that comment. Well, I think the, the reason that detail is in there is what, what it's saying is Jesus is not afraid of the graphic details of our life. Jesus is not worried if we stink. He understands that and he can handle that, unlike a plastic Jesus. Which is good news because, you know what, sometimes our lives are ugly and unpleasant. Sometimes we are ugly and unpleasant. Other people hurt us. We hurt other people. We hurt ourselves. We hurt God. We sin. Now, a plastic Jesus sort of has to ignore that or sweep it under the carpet or pretend that it doesn't exist. But the real Jesus, he can handle that. And he tells us the truth. I, I love his response to Martha's concern about odor. He says, didn't I tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God? In other words, Martha, the glory of God can be revealed even in the stench of death. Because that's Jesus' specialty. Bringing life out of smelly death. That's the point of this passage. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the only one that can bring something wonderful out of something tragic. When I was doing college ministry down in California, I remember once talking with a student who was going through a breakup with his girlfriend. And uh, at the end of the conversation, he looked at me and he said, Scott, when it comes to talking about messed up relationships, you're the man. Because you've had so many. Great. Thank you. That just shows what Jesus can do. Out of all the botched and messed up relationships I've had, he extracted some life. He taught me how to teach other people not to have them. He taught me how to have compassion on people who were suffering from that. He brought life out of death. A friend of mine a while back was telling me about how her mother had died. But shortly after her mother died, she received a letter from the nurse in the hospital where her mother was. And the nurse had said that in the process of watching her mother die and how the family responded, she had seen real love for the first time. And that led her to go to church, and eventually that led her to become a follower of Christ. And my friend was encouraged to see that something good happened out of her mother's death. Jesus can handle the ugly, unpleasant parts of our lives because he is the expert at bringing life out of death. And finally, the third thing that the real Jesus can do that a plastic Jesus can't. The real Jesus puts us in a community where we can be unbound from the things that hinder us. Unbound from the things that hinder us. At the end of this story, when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's still wrapped in his old grave clothes. And Jesus says this interesting thing to the bystanders. He looks at them and he says, unbind him. And that's a metaphor for what Jesus says to the church. He looks at you and he looks at me and he says, unbind them. You see, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus forgives, but old sins still cling to us like grave clothes. Old habits still persist and old tapes still play in our heads that we aren't lovable, that we aren't really forgiven and that we're no good. And all those things cling like grave clothes and they bind us up and they keep us from going forward. And so Jesus says to you and me what he said to those bystanders back there, unbind them, unbind him, unbind her. And that's our job as a church, to unbind each other. The real Jesus, as opposed to a plastic Jesus, shares in our suffering and offers us intimacy with the living God. He isn't afraid of the ugly, unpleasant parts of our lives because he knows he can bring new life out of them. And he puts us in a community where we can be unbound and set free. Last year, I married a couple who had gone through a lot of difficult things. 
the, the woman had been raised in a good Christian home and all through high school went to youth group and in college worked at Christian summer camps. But then she started dating a guy who put a lot of pressure on her to have sex. And eventually she gave in and ended up pregnant, which caused a tremendous amount of pain, especially in her family. But then this kind of amazing thing happened. Her high school pastor introduced her to his brother and sister-in-law, who had been trying for 11 years to have a child but couldn't. 11 years of praying constantly only to be disappointed every 28 days. Eleven years of saying, Lord, if you'd only been there, we would have had a baby. And so this woman ended, ended up giving her baby to this infertile couple. And now she still sees that child from time to time, but that couple are the parents. And now years later, she's met this great guy, and they've gotten married, and he, the guy she eventually married, he himself had this tragic life, abusive parents, and, and a whole host of, of broken relationships, but now they're happily married. Now, there's a lot of disappointment and death in those stories. Where was God for that infertile couple? And what about this woman who got pregnant? Yeah, she made some mistakes, but why didn't God keep her out of that relationship or give her more strength along the way? What about the man she eventually married and all the pain he had suffered in his life? There's a lot of death and disappointment in those stories. But there's some resurrections, too. One woman's crisis becomes the blessing for an infertile couple. And as she talked about it, she said to me, you know, I'm so grateful to see how God has used this to, to bless that couple. But also in my own family, he brought healing. And now she does high school ministry and she's got a great story to tell those high school kids. Don't. Don't. There's a lot of disappointment in these stories, but there's also a lot of resurrections. And there's a lot of unbinding, too. I mean, I think this pastor who introduced her to his brother and sister-in-law, that's the church at its finest. That's unbinding each other. That's saying, you've got a problem, it's mine. And let's help each other. I'll unbind you, you unbind me. Over and over again, I get so frustrated that Jesus doesn't do what I want him to do. That that he just doesn't make my life easier or convenient. In fact, the day I was counseling this couple and they told me this story, it was, you know, it was a terrible day. I remember it. I was having some staff problems down at Menlo and ministry wasn't working out the way I wanted it to. And as she's telling me this story, I got reminded again of how much more I would rather follow the real Jesus than a plastic Jesus. A real Jesus who shares in everything that I experience, who brings new life out of death and who puts me in a community where I can be set free. I'd rather follow him. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you have some area in your life where you feel confused or frustrated because Jesus isn't making your life easier. He's not doing what you want him to do. Know this and trust this. That through all your trials and tribulations, he's faithful. And as confusing as it might be, he always has a plan to bring new life out of death. And our job is just to continue to follow him and keep our eye on the real Jesus, not the Jesus of our own invention. You know, our culture offers us a lot of plastic Jesus. A lot of stereotypes. He's judgmental. He's left wing. He's right wing. He's a crutch for weak people. You name it. But only the real Jesus can meet us at the tombs we find ourselves in and call us out of those tombs and put us with people who can unbind us. I don't know about you, but I don't want a plastic Jesus any more than I want to be a plastic person. Because even though plastic is more convenient, like plastic silverware or something, finally it breaks if you put too much pressure on it. It isn't very beautiful. It has no real value. And you can't pass it down to your kids. 
So as a church, let's follow the real Jesus, as crazy and as counterculture as he may be, so that we say, and that all of Bellevue says, who is this Jesus? I've got to know him. Lord Jesus, you zig when we zag. And that is the best part of who you are. Lord, I pray that as we go forward, you would allow us to discover the real you. Help us to follow you wherever you take us. We want to know you and we want to be your people. Lord, lead on and we'll go your way. We pray this in your name. Amen.